Hello, and welcome to the Did You Know Crypto podcast, episode six, Cryptocurrency Wallets. Today, we're going to be going in-depth regarding the different types of cryptocurrency wallets that you can hold yourself or be held for you on your behalf via custodial services like exchanges. First, I'd like to say thank you for listening and wanting to learn more about blockchain technology and cryptocurrency, but mostly for choosing to do that with me. I really do appreciate it. Before we begin, there are a few terms that you should be familiar with before we get into the different types of wallets so that when these terms do come up a little bit later, you'll better be able to understand what I'm talking about. The first thing we're going to talk about are public and private keys. Your public key is what people will use to send you cryptocurrency. It's important to note that the term public key and address are often used synonymously. However, they are slightly different. Your address is actually what they call a hash of your public key, which is basically a shortened version of it that can be used to receive cryptocurrencies. Your public key will be a 40-character hexadecimal string. Hexadecimal uses the numbers 0 through 9 to represent 0 through 9, and A through F to represent 10 to 15. Each cryptocurrency will also have a unique prefix, that is the first few characters of the string, to allow distinction between the different crypto protocols so that you can kind of recognize what would be a Bitcoin versus, say, an Ethereum address. Your private key is the password to everything in your wallet. Without a private key, you can view a wallet, you can see all the incoming and outgoing transactions as well as the balances, like looking at someone's monthly banking statement. Once you have that private key, however, you can move the funds out of that wallet. It cannot be reiterated enough that you need to keep your private key secure. People have had their funds stolen by keeping private keys on something as simple as just a Word document on their computer or even the Evernote app on their phone, which just happened really recently with someone that was streaming live on YouTube and accidentally showed their private key and had their funds stolen while they were while they were doing their show live. So don't do that. Don't store it on anything that's public or easily accessible. If that device is ever compromised and that unsecured private key is found in that device, like you sell your laptop and you forget about it, you don't wipe it, that can be used to steal your entire wallet. Don't lose it. Keep it safe. So the next thing we're going to talk about is a mnemonic device. A mnemonic device is, in its most basic form, or words and letters or associations that help you to remember information. Often this is used to help teach children things like the planets. My very educated mother just showed us nine planets. Or the term homes to help you remember the great lakes of Huron, Ontario, Michigan, Erie, and Superior. In the crypto world, this was introduced with Bitcoin Improvement Protocol 39, or BIP39 for short, in 2013. This was a list of 12 words that could be generated from a list of 2,048 unique words, which allows for over a duodecillion of possible combinations. This list of 12 words would sound something like this. Ice, open, witch, practice, fish, least, and then et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What this allows you to do is to write down or memorize, which is the least of the good options for that, of this phrase. And what this allows you to do is to write down or memorize this phrase to your wallet. Memory is the least preferable option. And if you ever lose your wallet or anything like that, your computer crashes, you could re download the wallet on a new computer and using these 12 words, 
recover your wallet and the funds contained as though nothing ever happened. It's important to note that this does not replace your private key. You will still need your private key to be able to access the funds to send them. Think of it like this. Your private key is like the password to an encrypted file on your computer. Your mnemonic device is like the password to the backup hard drive that contains that locked file. The mnemonic device is often called the recovery seed for many wallets. Mobile wallets like Jack or hardware wallets like the Ledger, which we will talk about in a little bit, will both have this recovery seed in the form of a mnemonic device. If you lose the phone that your Jack's app was on, all you need to do is get a new phone, re-download Jack's, and input your recovery seed. This will give you access to all your funds again. If you lose, say, your physical Ledger Nano, like I have, once you buy a new one, you can load the recovery seed into it, and all your funds associated with that seed will be available again as long as you still remember the PIN. At the end of this podcast, I will go over some hints and best practices to keep your information secure and redundantly stored so you never are in a position where you could lose access to your funds. We're going to talk even at more in depth about this in a future episode about safety and security, but just stay tuned for that. I also understand that to a lot of new people, this sounds like a lot of work, maybe too much work. But remember that cryptocurrency is all about personal responsibility. You are responsible for your funds, not the bank. There is no bank. The trade-off to all of this is that you need to put a little, just a little bit more work than going to, say, Wells Fargo. The gain is that, well, there isn't a central bank eating away at your savings, losing 98% of its value in 100 years due to inflation and crashing the economy. But I digress. To me, that seems like a pretty good deal overall, don't you think? It's really not that hard and will take less time than to, say, binge watch a few episodes of your favorite show. The next terms I want to discuss are custodial and non-custodial accounts. A custodial account is when, say, a third party holds and controls your funds for you. This is like a normal bank account. The bank holds your funds and controls them. They can move them anywhere they wish, as well as deny you access to them if they ever so choose. In the crypto world, this would be similar to exchanges like Coinbase or Uphold or Bitfinex. We just talked about private keys. If you remember, that's basically kind of like the password to your wallet. If you do not control the public and private keys to an account, it's not really your account, but a custodial account. If you use Coinbase, you're never going to get the private keys to that account's wallet. That is the difference between holding your own funds in your own wallet and having a custodial account like Coinbase. The next terms that we're going to be talking about are hot and cold wallets. The simple difference really between the two is merely connection to the internet. A hot wallet is connected to the internet and is able to transact, while a cold wallet is not. A hot wallet would be something like a Jax wallet, which is the iOS or Android app that you can download. You can transact Bitcoin or basically any other crypto that they support, such as Ethereum, or EOS, or Dogecoin, or Augur Rep, among others. And you can do this instantaneously without any hangups. A cold wallet would be something like a Ledger Nano S, which is a hardware wallet. I physically have to connect this device to my computer. I have to physically input the pin to connect the wallet to the outside world, and then have the ability to move the funds. Think of a hot wallet, put it more simply, like a purse or an actual normal wallet you carry in your pants. You carry cash in it, 
and you're able to pull out at any time money to pay someone right away. The risk of carrying that wallet with that cash being that if someone does gain access to that personal wallet by stealing it or taking it from you, they can pull the cash out and they instantly have all the money that you have in that wallet. A cold wallet is more like a safety deposit box. It's much more secure. It has more safeguards. But the downside is it's not convenient to use for daily transactions. I love my Ledger Nano S, but if I'm walking around and I meet somebody on the street and let's just say, or I go into a coffee shop, they accept cryptocurrencies, I'm not able to pull out that Ledger Nano S and plug it in and do all this kind of stuff to send them the, you know, whatever crypto that they're accepting. I will need to have something like a hot wallet, which is why I have things like Jax or Cointex, which I'll talk about in a future episode. Now that we know some of the terms, we can actually talk about some of the different wallets that are available. Mobile wallets are like the mobile wallets are ones that are primarily app-based and access via your phone or tablet, something that's mobile that you carry around with you, like Jax that I've already talked about. Mycelium's another one. There are quite a few other ones out there, and they allow you to transact crypto really fast and on the spot. I can open my Jax wallet on the phone, and within seconds, I can have my QR code out on the screen, and I can accept a myriad of cryptocurrencies if somebody wants to pay me in them or just, you know, for whatever reason. Uh, as I mentioned before, as far as for the coffee shop example, I use Jax primarily as a small denomination wallet that I can send funds in and out of for daily transactions, receive payments, because it's much easier just to tap on the phone, tap the app, tap copy address, that button that's right in there. I paste that into a message or a text, and then if someone has it, they can send funds to me directly. With wallets like Jax and Mycelium, you control the private keys. These are not custodial wallets. If you remember, custodial means that a company controls your funds and gives you access to your funds, but not the full control of those funds. Since Jax gives you the full control of your private keys, you can take your public address, which you already have. Remember, that's the address people can send funds to. And, the and take your private key. And remember, that's like the password. Since Jax gives you full control of your private keys, you can take your private Since Jax gives you full control of the private keys, you can take your public address. Remember that's the address people can send funds to, and your private key, and remember that's like your password, and you could delete Jax and still be able to control your funds because you have your public and private keys. For example, let's say I had two Ethereum in my Jax wallet and I lost my phone. Since I control my private keys, I'm able to take that public and private key, go into something like myetherwallet.com. I can input those public and private keys and access my Ethereum that way. It's extremely important that you always maintain control of your private keys. Without them, you're not in control of your wealth. I'm sorry if I keep on reiterating this, but it is the most important thing that you can really take home and understand when dealing with crypto. Control your private keys. Control your private keys like they're your child. It's also important to note that there are a lot of different apps in the App Store that are vying to become your mobile crypto wallet. Be extremely careful. Make sure you research heavily any app that you're considering using to store your funds. As I mentioned, I only use mobile apps to store a small amount of crypto. Don't use this as, well, I'm just going to put everything that I buy in there. I don't trust mobile applications for any large amounts at all. For those, I use hardware wallets that I've already mentioned, like the Ledger Nano, and that we're actually going to be discussing next. So let's talk about hardware wallets. There are multiple hardware wallets on the market right now. 
mainly being Ledger, Trezor, and KeepKey. My personal experience has been with Ledger and Trezor, but mostly with Ledger, so that's the one I'm going to be talking about. My Ledger, a hardware wallet is basically a mobile cold storage device for your cryptocurrencies. There's other cold storage things that you can use, like Zappo, which is actually a service, and they, they have a big cave filled with servers for cold storage of Bitcoin. But these are kind of the next best thing as a mobile cold storage device for your crypto that you can carry around anywhere. It's not connected to the internet until you decide to, and all funds are secure as long as you have physical control of the device and or maintain strict control of the pin and or recovery seed. My Ledger Nano S is about the size of a thumb drive, basically has a small little screen, two buttons on top. To access it, I have to physically connect it to the USB of my computer. I have to open the Ledger app via Google Chrome. Once I open the app of the coin I wish to transact in, say Bitcoin, or Ethereum, or Dash, I will be prompted to input a seven-digit numeric PIN. Once I do that, I will have the ability to control and access these funds. A hardware wallet is really the second best option behind a paper wallet, which will be the last wallet that I discuss on this episode. However, to properly create a paper wallet securely requires, I don't want to say technical expertise, but it takes you know a few more steps, and you need to make sure that you do all this right you don't want to skip anything and you don't want to do this lackadaisical, especially if you're going to be putting a decent amount of crypto onto it. The average person isn't going to want to do this. So I basically recommend that if you have more than a few hundred dollars in crypto and are planning on adding more over time, just invest in a hardware wallet now. They cost between 50 and 100 bucks depending on when you buy them and are well worth the investment. I keep the vast majority of my funds on a Ledger Nano S and only basically what I am actively trading ever comes off of it. If you're looking to dollar cost average your purchases of crypto, which basically means you just buy a set amount per month and regardless of the price, this would work actually perfectly. You can buy monthly via Uphold and just send it directly afterwards to your hardware wallet for long-term storage. Remember, if you ever want to check how much is in your wallet, you don't actually need to get onto your hardware wallet or even your paper wallet as long as you know the address. You can just input that into something that's called a blockchain explorer for that specific coin. And by searching that wallet, you can see everything. Any kind of transactions that have gone in or out of that wallet address, the balances and anything like that. For Bitcoin, you can go to blockchain.info. Uh, Ethereum, you can use ethscan.io. I'll have all these linked to in the show notes at digitocrypto.com. The next wallet that we'll be talking about is multi-signature or multi-sig wallets. And these are a very neat option, especially for businesses. With a multi-sig wallet, you can do things like having a three or four or 10 or 20 signature wallet for your business and or your clients. The signatures are comprised of, say, yourself, the seller of the product, the other person, maybe the client who's the buyer, and the third is a backup agreed, agreed upon by both parties. To initiate a transaction from a wallet, you will need to have two out of three signatures to validate. Another option is to limit any wrongdoing, say, within a company by having 15 out of 20 signatures required on a company wallet to sign before any transactions are considered valid. This helps to secure a company's funds in case, say, a hacker is able to gain access to your network or, say, some of your employees' computers, and they find that some of them have not been keeping their private key secret. Even if the hacker was able to gain access to two or three or five of these employees' keys, they couldn't steal any funds. It's a really neat idea, especially for institutional and businesses out there. 
The last one that we're going to be talking about are paper wallets. A paper wallet is the most secure way to store your crypto. They exist offline, and unless someone gains access to the physical paper wallet, i.e. the actual thing is printed on, or you lose it, they're entirely safe. Considering that 99% of thefts of crypto occur online by malicious individuals gaining access to, say, exchanges, or your computer, paper wallets eliminate a lot of the security issues that can arise with cryptocurrency. So what are the downsides? For one, it's not exceedingly simple. It's not difficult, but it is not as simple as just downloading an app. And it's just not a matter of Googling create paper wallet and creating one online, such as my Ether wallet or on another site. You need to ensure that your computer is not compromised in any way. Because if so, all the information that you are typing on your computer and putting down there is visible to whatever hacker has compromised your system. So here's how you can create a Bitcoin paper wallet. In short, I will have links uh, to an article on how to create a Bitcoin wallet, how to create an Ethereum wallet, and I will update this over time with how to create other wallets from other systems. So step one, and remember, this is for a Bitcoin paper wallet not for anything else. If you send any other cryptocurrency to a Bitcoin address, you will lose it forever. If you send Bitcoin to an Ethereum address, you will lose it forever. Just always remember that. So step one, ensure that your computer is completely free of malware of any kind. Really the best option would be just get a brand new cheap laptop or buy a used one, then wipe the drive, reload the operating system and everything like that. Don't download any apps. Make sure that you just use this specifically for any of your crypto uses. This is the very best option. Step two, on your now clean device, connect to the internet and go to walletgenerator.net. I want to reiterate that you need to make sure that your device is clean. I would really recommend, like I said, having a dedicated small netbook or cheap laptop for this. Don't use this to check Facebook or check your emails or download attachments or anything like that. No third-party apps, nothing. After this, when you go to the site, you're going to click on the link that they have to download a zip file, .zip file. Now that you've done that, step three, disconnect from the internet. And also make sure that the printer that you're going to be using is not connected to Wi-Fi and is directly com connected to the computer that you're using now. It's important that all this is done offline now, that neither the printer nor the computer are online. After you are sure that you're no longer connected to the internet, open in that zip file, extract all, and open the index.html file. This is going to take you to a website, but offline. Step four, now you're going to see a screen saying, generate new address and asking you to move your mouse. Basically, just going to swirl your mouse around like when you're kind of bored at the computer and just kind of move it around randomly around the screen. As you're doing this, you're creating a random key for your new wallet. Do this until the number to the right reads zero. Step five, your wallet is now generated and you will see two QR codes, which if you remember are kind of like a barcode, but they are a square with kind of like black and white little squares that are all connected all around. The left side is your public key. You can use this to send Bitcoin to that wallet. So if you have, say, Bitcoin held on Coinbase, you can use your Coinbase app to scan that QR code or input that address that you see printed above the QR code, and you can send your Bitcoin there. And the right is the private key, which unlocks access to use the funds in the wallet. Print this out 
and it is advised that you print out multiple copies of this, keep them in multiple places that are safe. As if you do put your Bitcoin on this paper wallet, and let's say you forget about it, and you leave it in a file cabinet, and the moths get to it, or there's a flood, and you lose that thing, it's lost forever. Step six now, delete the web page off your computer that's still offline, and now you can connect back to the internet. For Ethereum wallets, I will have a link in the show notes on how to use myetherwallet.com to create a paper wallet. You can securely store any ERC-20 Ethereum-based tokens, things like Augur Rep, Enigma, etc., on any Ethereum wallet address as well. Now that we've gone over the different types of wallets, I want to talk briefly about keeping your private keys safe. There are multiple ways that people store their private keys and wallets. Some people keep them in an actual physical location, such as a safe or safety deposit box. Some people have a safety deposit box and along with all their other valuables, such as you know cash or family jewelry, they'll have a copy of their safe paper wallets or even maybe a hardware wallet. In the very near future, I believe families are going to be opening up safety deposit boxes, say in 2050, 2060, of deceased relatives and find a forgotten paper wallet that's probably going to be worth millions or billions of dollars in Bitcoins or other tokens at that time. It'll be very interesting to see. Another way to store your private keys is to engrave them in metal. Crypto steel is an item I really like. This will ship you basically kind of looks like a metal credit card with a little swing latch on the front to cover it and has little slots that allow you to make a near permanent copy of your private keys by sliding the individual characters one by one into the slots of the card. So if, say, your private key was A, B, C, D, 1, 2, 3, 4, you're going to take that A, slide it all the way down, B, slide it all the way down, C, slide it all the way down, you know, and then all the way across. You will do this yourself so that you can ensure at all times you are the only one who has access to the private key. You can find a link to this at didyouknowcrypto.com slash cryptosteel. There are other manufacturers that sell products like this, but I would caution whoever you use, never use a service that asks you just send us your private key. Don't do that. I know that you would rather maybe not have to take the time to engrave it yourself or whatever, but if you send some of your private keys, you're just really asking for heartache down the road. The last and least preferred option is memory. Some people have decided to erase any physical evidence of their private key and keep it entirely in their memory. You may have a great memory. However, consider what happens if, if you're ever involved in, say, an auto accident or something that results in brain trauma. You've now basically possibly lost all ability to recover these funds. I don't recommend this unless it's your only option. Another option I don't even really want to recommend is kind of in the early days of us crypto freaks. Some of us uh, would, not me personally. People actually got their private keys tattooed on their bodies. I find this kind of you know, neat in a way, but then again, what happens if you're at the beach, someone takes a picture of you and now they've got your private key, or if you don't have it memorized or written down anywhere else and you ever get some sort of injury, now you've lost that private key. Unless you really like tattoos and you really want to you know, put your private key in jeopardy, I don't recommend this. I hope this helps you understand how wallets work and how to secure your crypto better. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram with any questions you may have anytime. If you want to support us, shop through the Amazon link on the homepage or go to didyouknowcrypto.com support. There you will find all of our podcasts, articles, and social media links on didyouknowcrypto.com 
That's didyouknowcrypto.com.